Did you tell everybody to greet each other? That was quick. All right. You guys must know each other pretty well. You're doing the, hey, what's up? Good to see you. Yeah, have a seat. All right. Um, if you have an electronic device with you, smartphone, and you typically use that well, could you go to our website real quick? Can you go to our website? And if you come to our website, you will see the weekly bulletin, and once you click on that, okay? Awesome, I see all these people with phones. It's wonderful. How many of you are technologically challenged? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Well, that's good. Just look over your neighbor's shoulder and see what they're doing. Kaya, you need to teach your dad how to do this, okay? Yes. Okay. How many got there? See the announcements? See the announcements? Nobody sees the announcements, guys. Good, George. Awesome. Natalie in the back. Natalie, I like how you're so quick on them. That's great. Rich, I have something for you this morning. Please don't leave before I give it to you. Okay, good. Good. All right, are we there? Wonderful. You can scroll with me on the announcements. You can always find the information on our website. Okay, it's a, it's a really good, good way to find out what's going on. Let's talk about our updated mask policy. We're going to go there first, okay? Um, no, Rich, I don't want to share my password with you. It's popped up on my screen. <laughs> it said, you want to share your password with Rich Europa? I don't think so. <laughs> All right, we're still asking you to wear masks, of course, but we have another option now. They're plastic face shields. Do we have one that we can show? Oh, yeah, why don't you pull one out, Dave? Okay, they're in there. They're like glasses, okay, you can wear them. <coughs> um, any takers, any takers, yeah? Okay, well anyway, it's another option because I know some people have difficulty breathing through these masks and we're just not ready to uh, undo the mask policy as of yet. So if you want a plastic face shield, take one, it's yours. You don't uh, leave it, you keep it. But if you do take one, make sure you come back each time with it. We cannot afford to resupply everyone every Sunday mm -hmm. with these face masks. <clears throat> next Sunday, next Sunday, 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 it's a truck rally, no. We're having a baptism here. It's kind of cool, we're gonna have it indoors, in here. Uh, it'll be interesting how that works. I know a lot of slipping and sliding going on. All right, but our, our sweet little Kaya is going to be baptized. Okay, don't mean to embarrass you, but that's important, okay? I know you're smiling under the mask, except for the horrified look in your eyes. And uh, Jeffrey, you're back, right? You're gonna be baptized, just came to Christ, it's awesome. If you or anyone that you know wants to be baptized, uh, please give us a call and we will arrange it and make sure that it happens. It'll be awesome. Okay, and if you want more information and you're scrolling down, you see on the baptism graphic that there is a link you can click and a form you can fill out. All right, it's going to be fun one way or another. How many of you seen Here Comes the Boom? Here Comes the Boom, the movie, Here Comes the Boom. Some of you have, you know, that, that one scene where they, were, they went to the ring and it was raining and they're sliding all over the place. 
don't remember it. All right, let's move right on. Okay, backpack for tomahawk. Eventually, the kids at Maryland School will be showing up for face-to-face -face instruction. We want to provide 17-inch backpacks for them. If you want to buy them yourself, you can drop them off here at the church, or you can donate money for us to go buy them for you. Your choice, and again, go online for more information. All right? Women's Bible Study starts next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. It's going to meet here. You're going to be going through the book, Experiencing Prayer with Jesus by Henry and Norman Blackaby. You can register online and buy the book at the same time. Cost is $15. You can see Marilyn, uh, who is at home with her mother. Yes, Jenny, right? And um, Teresa over here, and Sherry, who's home just being at home, okay? Not feeling well today. All right, the return. We have a video clip I'd like to show before I give the rest of this announcement. Can we get the lights, please? And let's play the video clip for the return. We are standing at the crossroads, a moment that could seal the future for calamity <coughs> or redemption. We've driven God out of our culture, out of our lives. We war against his ways. The only answer is to return before it's too late to bring healing, restoration, and revival. Return to God, and He will return to us. The Return, September 26, 2020. Go to thereturn.org. Okay. Obviously, we are in some troubling times. At least, I, it is disturbing me somewhat. But I always remember still who is sitting on the throne. And that things are culminating to the end for a purpose and even if this is not the end our God is still with us and he is still on the throne these things will will transpire to the end of the days and that's what Jesus told us however we do have responsibility we are to pray for our nation we are to walk in holiness and righteousness and in love towards our neighbors this is our call and this is probably a wake-up call from the Lord for us to do what we should do. Judgment begins where? If God is going to judge, he's going to begin in the church, in the house of the Lord. That is correct. So next Saturday, September 26th, we're going to be joining with millions of others across the nation and around the world for a day of prayer and repentance. The focus is much the same as what we've been doing for the past few weeks here as I've been leading you through this. Uh, we're going to come before his presence in humility and in sincerity and in prayer and repentance. And if you want to join us in the morning session, we'll be live streaming the event here at the church. We're going to open the doors at 6 a.m. and be here till 9 a.m. And then you can go home and watch the rest if you so desire. But also I should let you know that um, they're adding a night of prayer for the next generation, September 25th, Friday evening from five to eight. We won't be doing anything here, but just letting you know. So if you wanna go online and be a part of that, you can. It's a night of worship, a night of prayer for our young people. Okay? All right. Um, having said that now, I would like to ask Miss Maria to come up here and do the morning's reading for us, the call to the word. Maria, hey. Good to see you. Uh, 
So if you could turn to Exodus 33, we'll be reading from 17 to 23. And let's all stand for in honor of his word. It's okay. It's all good. Thank you, Maria. Appreciate it so much. Good job. Maria is one of our young adults and has been participating in our marriage family talks class on Fridays at 10 a.m. and at 5 p.m. And she has some wonderful insights. But uh, praying in front of people, that's kind of hard, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your mind just sort of goes blank. You don't know what to say. You don't want to sound foolish at the same time you know you want to get it out but you know what the lord is doing right now maria after your prayer he's going what was that no i'm kidding <laughs> he's going that was just precious it's precious okay so thank you very 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 much all right uh, we are in the book of exodus chapter 33 we're going to be reading through verses 17 through 23 which we just did uh the title of my message i'm going to put this down vince I need to be able to see on this side, and I am rather short, wherever you are. 
The title of the message is, we have as much, I'm sorry, that's not the title. <laughs> what is the title? Show me your glory, because miracles are never enough. How many of you would think, you know, if God would just show us a miracle every once in a while, it would help my faith? Yeah? Sometimes, but if they become regular, they're not miracles anymore, are they? They're normals. Okay. What we really are asking for is what Moses asked for here today, is to see, to perceive, to comprehend his glory, the glory of God. That is what will fulfill him. In the book of Revelation, you have some cherubim, angels, beings of a higher order than ourselves. And what they do 24-7 is fall on their face before the Lord and cry out, holy, holy, holy. Now, I find that rather mundane myself, if that's what all my eternity was going to be like. I mean, just being honest here, you know, falling down on my face and crying out, holy, holy, holy. Well, it's to them it has been given to worship God in such a fashion, and in that they find their completest fulfillment. How many of you have ever been to a retreat and wished, oh, I wish I could stay here. I wish it could always be like this all the time, right? You're tasting glory. You're tasting some of the presence and the glory of God, and you don't want to come down, but the reality is you've got to come down. And of course, when you get down here, you know, what's waiting for you, right? The dishes, of course. The enemy. So, God does give us those times when his glory is displayed. And we're going to talk about that. Tozer said, A.W. Tozer, he said, we have as much of God as we actually want. You can have as much of God as you actually want. All right. Psalm 107.9 says, he, God, satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who is absolutely, totally, and completely righteous in all his ways? Jesus Christ. And when you hunger and thirst for him, you will be, it says, filled. And the idea there is to be filled, full, and overflowing. Uh, Scottish, if you're of Scottish descent, you may have heard the phrase, foo and scalin. My big beaker is foo and scaling, flowing full and overflowing the top, down the counter, onto the floor. His righteousness, his joy can be within us full and overflowing. The degree of fullness <clears throat> in any life is in direct proportion with the intensity of the desire. The degree of fullness in any life is in direct proportion with the intensity of true desire. Some of us want God on autopilot. We want to put him on cruise control. You want to reach a certain plateau and lever, level, you know, like on the freeway, and then you want to set the cruise control so you're not going too fast, you're not going too slow, you're making, you're just fine. You know, leave me alone. And that's when 
God starts bringing trials into your life. <laughs> because it's always higher up and further in. Higher up and further in to Christ. And that's a, that's a reference of a C.S. Lewis book called The Last Battle. Now, this morning you have the get to if you possess the want to. This is the get to if you really want it. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer again said, one great hindrance to the spirit-filled life is the theology of complacency. That's that autopilot. So let's review real quick, and then we'll get into it now. The children of Israel, they're at Mount Sinai, correct. They've been there for about two, three months, uh, and they're going to be spending about another nine months to a year there. They've, Moses has received God's law. Uh, they're going to be building the tabernacle. He's got the instructions for that. And the tabernacle, remember, is a portable worship center where they can come and meet with God. <clears throat> God had earlier spoke to them all with his own voice, ushering the Ten Commandments. I mean, just speaking the Ten Commandments with his own voice, thundering from the mountain. Can you imagine that? Can you just put yourself there for a moment? You're standing at the base of South Mountain, down here, or North Mountain, and all of a sudden you hear it talking to you. I mean, that's where the voice is coming from, and it's from all around, and it is loud, so loud that the trees and leaves are shaking on it. And you understand what it's saying, and it's giving you the 10 simple rules for living. Wow. They actually heard that. And that's when they entered into a covenant relationship with God. Do you know what a covenant relationship is? A covenant relationship is a promise between two or more parties. I will do this if you do this. You do this, I'll do this back for you. Okay. The word is also used as a verb when we covenant to work together on a project until it's finished. So it's a, it's a promise that we will work together until this thing is done. God said, I promise to provide for you, to protect you, and to bless you if you will promise to simply obey me. Those 10 simple rules. And of course, they said, you got it. We'll do that. But as soon as they entered the covenant, what did they do? They broke it, right? Um, they danced around the golden calf. And they're already engaging in idolatry and immorality. Now, before we judge them, we all entered into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, which was a better covenant because he already knew that we couldn't keep it. But we said, just like they did, yes, I'll love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'll walk in obedience to the commands you have in your word as you empower me to do it. And as soon as we said it, what did we do? We broke it, exactly. When I was in high school, I, I drove a motorcycle without a license, and I felt guilty and convicted, and I prayed, God, please forgive me for what I just did. I'll never do that again. And then five minutes later, I'm on the bike driving across town. Well, he knew that. He knew that. And the better covenant is that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, past, present, and future. The warning, of course, is don't take it for granted. Don't assume upon his grace. 
Anyway, God was quick to respond in chapter 32, telling Moses, just move aside, son. I'm going to destroy them, and I'll start all over with you. And Moses said, okay, now remember, God, you promised. You promised Abraham, Isaac, and Israel that you would bring them, that you would bring them into the land. And besides, you know, you told the Egyptians that you're going to do this for your glory, and it's not going to look very good on you if you take them out and destroy them. You should have just left them there. Well, he didn't say that, but you get the idea. And God said, all right, I won't destroy them, but I'm not going with you. I'll get you there. I'll send an angel, but I'm not going. You're on your own. What did Moses say? Okay. I'm sure your angels are very good at what they do, but honestly, I want you and you alone. I want your presence. How else, how else are we going to be known that we are your special people if you personally are not with us? And how will anyone know that I am the anointed leader unless you are with me? And God says, Okay, you got my presence. <clears throat> you see, the presence is everything when it comes to ministry. The presence is everything. Um, it was uh, <clears throat> Dave Guzik that said, what good is it to do anything for God without his presence? Without his presence, ministry would be a mistake without his presence. Quoting A.W. Tozer again, nothing in or of this world measures up to the simple pleasure of experiencing the presence of God. Ministry can be hard. Usually when you are ministering to others, even though it's, it's a joy inside, it can be difficult because you're dealing with all of the difficult things in life. You're dealing with people who are going through things that you can hardly imagine, and it wears you down. So you need his presence, because in his presence is guidance and direction and protection and provision. Brother Lawrence, you guys remember that guy? You ever heard of Brother Lawrence, right? He was a monk, a, a Catholic monk. And he wrote a little booklet, and I highly recommend it to you, called Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God. It's a real soft, thin book. You can read it within 20 minutes. He says, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, yeah, that was his job in the monastery, clean the dishes. He did the dishes all the time. How many of you run from the dishes like the plague? Yeah? Okay. Not Brother Lawrence. He did them. And he had spent his time with the Lord there. He says, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Wouldn't it be cool to get your life to that place where you're always just conscious of the presence of God? That's doable, you know. 
It's doable. It's just where are you going to focus your mind? Where do you focus your mind? Paul said, think on these things, things that are good. Praiseworthy. Praiseworthy? Praiseworthy. Noble. True. Anything that's of good report. Meditate on those things. And, of course, the Word of God is full of that. Meditate on those things. Yeah, well, I've got to think about my schedule once in a while. What do you do when you think about your schedule? I got a meeting. I got a meeting with my boss today, and I'm already playing it out in my head. This is what's going to go on, right? He's going to say this, I'm going to say that, and then he's going to say this, and then I'm going to say that, and then he's going to get really angry, and then I'm going to walk out with a pink slip, right? <clears throat> no. Think on the good things. Are you aware of his presence as you wash the dishes? You can be. As you drive to work, you can be. As you discipline your children, you should be. As you work on that paper for college, you can be. As you make that iced Restretto 10-shot Vente with 5-pump vanilla, 7-pump caramel, and 4th Splendus, <laughs> you might want to be. <laughs> All right. When you have somebody in your home, are you aware of their presence? All the time, aren't you? All the time. That's right. So it's, it's doable. Now, more importantly to me, though, is do you sense God's presence here? Do you sense his presence in the four walls that surround us as we gather together? That's extremely important. To me. All right. <clears throat> sometimes we're more aware of his presence than at other times. And sometimes he's a little bit more demonstrative than at other times. So Moses says to God, you know, you just have to be with us in such a way that we know you're with us, okay? Now I'm going to paraphrase verse 13. has to be you, all you. I'm not going to be able to get them there, <clears throat> no matter who you send, angel, no angel, not with my ability, not with my skills, not with my charisma and my natural good looks. It's got to be you or it's a no-go. <clears throat> this tells me as a pastor that even at my very best, it's not enough. I should always be giving you my very, very best. But you need more than that. You need God in your midst. You need him. God, you have to be present in a way that we know it. Or all of this is in vain. Now in verse 14, Mo, talking again, he gets what he wants. God says, all right, Moses, my presence will go with you. All right, victory. Yeah, in Yahweh's name, amen. Ready to bounce, Moses? No, I want something else, please. One more thing. If your present does not go with us, don't send us away from here. I mean, how's anyone going to know that you look favorably upon me and your people if you don't go with us? Your presence among us is what sets us apart from all other people on the earth. All right, is he pushing it here a little bit? All right, when your kids keep coming back for more, I mean, even before you hear what they say, you already say, hey, you're pushing it. Mm -hmm. You're pushing it, right? He wanted his presence 
And what does God say? All right. I will go with you personally. I will be with you. And again, Moses gets what he wants. Then in verse 17, this is where we pick up today's teaching. The Lord says to Moses, I will also do this thing you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. That's unmerited favor. And I know you by name. In other words, we have a relationship, Moses. This is a relationship between you and me. See, that's what God wants with us. This relationship, a relationship. He doesn't want just a servile attitude from a bunch of robotatons. He wants a relationship. And it pleases him that his creation, Moses of Egypt, has sought to seek after him and talk to him face to face as a friend talks to a friend. All right? So God says, okay, Moses, you're special to me. You got it. So we're done, right? You got my word. Uh, I'm going to go with you. So we're cool? <laughs> what does he say? Um, it's like Colombo. Just one more thing. Okay, now he's becoming importunate. Big word, right? Importunate. In other words, he's persisting to the point of annoyance. Do you think that disturbs God? Not in the least. He welcomes it. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You got to keep coming back. You got to keep praying. Now, in verse 18, Moses makes a most bodacious request. Okay, I'm channeling my Bill and Ted excellent adventure here. Bodacious. It's like, wow, that's a big request. He says, please show me your glory. You want what? Your glory. Could you show me your glory? Now think about this. He's seen a burning bush. He's seen the miracle plagues. <clears throat> he saw God part the Red Sea. He saw the pillars of fire and smoke. He saw God turn toxic water into drinkable sweet water. He saw manna provided from heaven. Then water came from a rock that was struck. He heard the voice from the mountain. He had been sitting with God for 40 days, writing out the law, drawing the plans of the tabernacle. What are you talking about? You want to see his glory. What do you think you've been seeing? Well, all of those things are manifestations of his presence. Yes, yes, they're glorious. But Moses is saying, I want something just for me. I want something just for me. I appreciate the fact that you are, you're just filling me with yourself so that I can lead your people in your way. I mean, you're telling me what to do. You're giving me the tools to do it with, and I appreciate that. You're communicating with, but you know what? I want a little more. Please, please, can I have something for me? I know what it's like to labor hard for the Lord and yet feel, feel, fail, unfulfilled. Um, worked for Delta Ministries in Oregon for a couple of summers 
and it was glorious. I mean, I was in seventh heaven. I was. This is what I felt like I was meant to do from the day that I was born. I was enjoying it, and then. Um, what we did there was train uh, young people to go in the mission field all over around the world. And we'd start early around five in the morning and get done around midnight. And it was like, hey, let's get up. Can we just keep on going? Do we have to quit? I was enjoying it so much. Uh, we flew to Portland, Oregon, I mean, Portland, Maine, and uh, was teaching and training and doing the same thing on the East Coast. And then I started thinking, isn't there more? I started feeling a lack. I started feeling, this is great, I love it, but is there more? And then I read this story by R.C. Sproul, how he had been wake, woken up at 3 in the morning and, and he walks across this frozen ground at the university that he was teaching at into the chapel area. And there he was just overwhelmed by God's presence where it just brought him to his knees in tears. He says at first it was terrifying and then it was peaceful and it was so full of joy. And it was like an experience like none other I had read about. And I go, I want some of that. I want some of that. And since we were working at this big Baptist church, I went into the to the chapel. Our, our, um, I should tell you that we were sleeping on the floor of the Sunday school rooms. That was our, those was our room, but we had access to the whole church. So I went into the church about midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and I was determined I am not going to fall asleep until I have that experience. And I lasted about 15 minutes, and then I was out. But I knew what it was like to hunger for more. That is a mark of true revival. What have we been praying for, guys? Revival within our own church. Revival within our own lives. And hunger for more of God is a mark of that. Are you experiencing that? Don't tell me. Don't shake your head. It's just, that's a rhetorical question. Are you experiencing that hunger? When God is moving in revival and renewal power among his people, there's a hunger for the presence and the glory of God, wanting more. And whatever you have experienced with God before, you still want more. It's too easy to be satisfied with past experiences and fall into a rut. And you know what a rut is, right? It's just a grave with the ends knocked out. Okay? It's too easy to keep stuck in the status quo. You should want more. Not more strange experiences, okay? Not more bizarre behaviors. Just more of him. We used to sing that song, more love, more power, more of you in our lives. Moses needs more, and he asks God to see his glory. Now, the word glory is kabod or chabad in the Hebrew. It has the idea of weightiness, and that's what it means, weight. It, but in, in the idea of, of weightiness, substance, something of profound significance. You guys that were children of the 60s, you remember what we used to say, right? Dude, that's a heavy idea. Whoa. You know? Or somebody do something incredibly great, go, dude, that was heavy. Um, it, it reaches 
deep. It's, it's further than simply wanting to be blessed or helped. It's just wanting substance. Now, we glorify individuals in our society, do we not? When you think of greatness in basketball, who's you, who do you think about? All right, LeBron James, maybe? Kobe, Brian, Michael Jordan, okay. When you think of greatness in baseball, who do we think about? Dave McCarthy, yes. <laughs> Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle. You hear the name Serena Williams, you think of greatness in? Tennis. You hear the name Tom Brady, you think of greatness in? Yeah, is he really the GOAT? Greatest of all time? Okay, here's the point. Each has excelled in their field and are noted for their accomplishments. And we celebrate them as they climb the ladder of their success. We pay homage to them. We ask for their autographs. We buy their jerseys and their posters and we follow them on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and every other social media platform that they're on. We celebrate them by giving them glory value and honor based upon their achievements. Now, to some degree, not to the degree that they think, but to some degree, they are worthy of those accolades. Some applause, but human glory and God's glory are as different as night and day. And they're hardly to be compared. You see, people can only glory in one area. For instance, you guys remember Michael Jordan, he quit basketball to pursue a career in baseball. Found out that he wasn't good in baseball. His glory was right there in basketball, right? Um, God is glorious in all areas. There is not an area where he is not glorious. He is equally glorious and awe-inspiring in all of his attributes. Tony Evans, he says, God is one of a kind. If there were a hall of fame for gods, he would be the only one in it. If God had a nickname, it would be glory because that's the descriptive identification of God, glory. He's in a class by himself. Psalm 8.1, turn there guys, Psalm 8.1. Psalm 8 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. See, there's Bill and Ted all through the Bible. Most excellent name. Who have set your glory above the heavens. Okay, now pop over to chapter 19, Psalm 19. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. 
They speak without a sound or word. And you know what they're saying? Glory. Glory. God, this is only one thing, okay, of all of the many different attributes. He is the creator. And he has flung creation just by speaking the word. I don't know if you've ever been up to Sedona on a totally clear night and you've gotten away from all the light pollution of the city. You can look up and you can see stars galore. I remember in our house in Cottonwood, I lay out on the deck and I would look up and just marvel because I'm looking at part of the Milky Way and I could see the strands of the Milky Way. And it would just blow me away. I would stare at it. We could even see um, satellites going through the sky. It was so cool. Now, scientists believe that there's an average of 100 billion stars in a galaxy. 100 billion. And about 200 billion galaxies. That means there are about 1 billion trillion stars in the observable universe. That's almost as much as our national debt. <laughs> Actually, the national debt's at 27 trillion, so it's got a ways to go. And the Bible says that God spoke them into existence. You tell me someone else you know that can do that. All right? Another aspect of God's glory is that it's intrinsic to his nature. You know what that means? Something that's intrinsic is, is just naturally exists, like water. Water is wet. The wetness of water is a natural intrinsic quality of water. You don't have to add water to water to make it wet. Right? Fire is hot. You don't have to light a match to make fire hot. Fire is hot. And glory is God. It's intrinsic to his nature. What wet is to water, what blue is to sky, what heat is to fire, glory is to God. The uniqueness of his glory is that it's self-defined, self-initiated, and self-expressed. Now, in contrast, every person to whom we give glory didn't start out that way. They had to get that way. Albert Einstein, we know him for being one of the most intelligent people on earth, right? Matter of fact, he is so smart that we use his name as an insult to others, don't we? Right? You walk out of the mall, you don't remember where you parked the car, and your wife says, you don't remember where you parked the car? Way to go, Einstein. <laughs> right? But he wasn't just born knowing the theory of relativity. He had to acquire knowledge and synthesize that knowledge to understand. Now, God didn't even have to think about it. He didn't even have to think about it. And what else does he know that we haven't discovered yet? He started out that way with no room for improvement. That's always what teachers put on my report card. Room for improvement. <laughs> Jesus' report card never had that. No room for improvement. 
except the, the thing is that he never started. All right? He just is. He always was. He always will be. There's never a time he never existed and never a time he won't exist. Think about it long enough and you're going to start popping brain cells. Okay? So his glory is intrinsic. It's also eternal. Okay? He doesn't have to go outside himself to help himself be better. Nor does he have to ever have a time when he will stop being glorious. Now, all the glory that men receive is only ascribed glory. It doesn't last. Usain Bolt is probably the fastest man alive, right? One day he will slow down. Okay? One day Xander will be faster than Usain Bolt. Supermodel, Bella Hadid. Even though she's thought to be the most beautiful woman in the world, woman in the world, her beauty will fade. Gravity will win, ladies. It's true. It's true. It's like the middle-aged woman and her husband sitting at the beach watching a young 18-year-old girl go by in a swimsuit, and she goes, oh, man, my body will never be like that again. And the husband wisely said, well, honey, neither will hers. <laughs> Christopher Michael Langan has an IQ of 210. All right. It's considered possibly the smartest man in America, if not the world. But maybe one day he'll see his beloved mind succumb to Alzheimer's. Man's glory fades. It doesn't last. And the biggest proof is that is that we're all going to die. All right? You take away our air, we lose our glory pretty fast. You take away our water, we lose our glory. You take away our health, we lose our glory. But God never loses his glory. Because he doesn't need anything outside himself to be himself. He is glory. He is eternal. He'll never slow down. His beauty will never fade. His intellect will never degenerate. And he will never die. He was, he is, and always will be. Can you wrap your mind around that? And that's what Moses wants to see. That's what he's asking for. God, show me your glory. Like us, he needs a connection to God's glory. It's not enough just to be a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of kings, to serve. I mean, that's an honor. It's wonderful. It's awesome. But it's not enough. Now, He wants to see it. The word see in the Hebrew is ra'ah. It means to see and to mentally perceive, to look into and inquire. He's saying, oh, look, Father, I want, to, I want to climb higher. I want to press further in. I want something that's going to fill me like nothing else does. I want a connection to your glory. And the cool thing is that God is going to give him what he's asking for. Remember that promise. I quote it to you almost every Sunday. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we have what we ask for. Are you asking for his glory, guys? 
Are you asking to see his glory? Or are you wasting it on a parking spot in front of Albertsons? God's going to give him what he's asking for. But he's going to give it in a way that maybe Moses wasn't expecting. He's going to manifest his glory through the demonstration of his attributes. Of his attributes. Don't let me lose you here, okay? What's an attribute? That's something that is what makes you, you. Bubbly, happy, talkative. Your brothers tell me you're talkative. When you hear, <laughs> it's going to be a long ride home there. When you hear talkative, bubbly, young lady, one thinks Elizabeth. That's your attributes. Get it? God's attributes include omnipotence, meaning he's all-powerful. Omniscience means he knows everything, can't learn anything. He's already got it down. He's omnipresent, means he's everywhere at once. He is self-existent. He needs nothing else outside of himself like food or water or air to live. He is eternal. He never had a beginning, never will have an end. He exists out of time and space. He is wise. He is just. He is holy. He is even wrathful in perfection. But none of those things is what he wants Moses' first impression of him to be. That blows me away. If I were to say to you, what's the primary thing I should understand about you? What would you tell me? Well, I doubt if you would dig into your deepest, darkest closet and reveal that to me. So you come somewhere in the middle, right? Job interview. What's the primary thing that I should understand about you? I'm a people person. Okay, isn't that what people say? I'm good with people. Or you might say, you know, just don't talk to me before I've had my morning coffee. <laughs> or I just wish I was the kind of person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> right? But for God, look at verse 19. Look at verse 19, Exodus 33, 19. The first thing he wants Moses to understand about himself is his goodness, his graciousness, and his compassion. He said, God that is, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Moses' first understanding of God was that he is good. All the time good. Now there's more to God than his goodness, right? But that's where it all begins. Not justice. Not wrath. Not power. Goodness. If you are going to begin to understand God, you start with his goodness. God is good, all the time good. He doesn't have a good side and a bad side like us. Even in his wrath and in his judgment, it is all good. It is all perfection. Chuck Smith used to tell us in the pastor's conferences that we pastors need to emphasize 
God's goodness, his grace, his unmerited favor, and his compassion above all things. Now, not only was Moses to understand his goodness, he was also to understand other portions of his character. Notice it says that I will proclaim my name. What does that mean? Moses, I'm Dennis, 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 Dennis. All right, it's going to be a flashing, blinking, neon sign. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. No. Back in the day, when you spoke of somebody's name, you spoke of their character. That's what he's going to proclaim to Moses, his character. In the Bible, if you care to research it, and you should, there are approximately 950 different names and titles for God. Each one of them has something to do with our benefit. Because the most significant name of God is Yahweh or Jehovah or otherwise known as the becoming one. What is it that I need? I've got 950 names that will meet any need you have. Where are you at in your life? What's going on? What do you need most? You need peace? Well, I'm Jehovah Shalom. I'm the one who will give you peace. You need provision for something? Well, I am Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. You need understanding? Well, my name is El Roy, the God who sees. And if I'm seeing it, I understand what you're going through. You get the idea? And on and on and on it goes. And he is the God of grace. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And he is the God of compassion. I will be compassionate to whom I will be compassionate. Now you say like, well, it sounds like he's saying there's a chance he won't be compassionate or gracious. Because he's making the decision, right? Well, you know, on, on Teresa, I'll be compassionate. But on Larry, mm, not so sure. I'll be compassionate on whom I'll be compassionate. And I'll be gracious on whom I will be gracious. Are you in Jesus Christ, guys? Are you in Jesus Christ? If you accepted him as your savior, you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you're on that side of the equation where he is going to pour out his grace and his compassion upon you. You are one of the ones that he has chosen to be gracious to and to be compassionate to. Wow. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. If you can understand his character, then you can trust him when you don't understand his actions. If you have a knowledge of his attributes, you can have confidence in your prayers because you're praying to a prayer hearing God. That is so why it's so important to study this book and to be in fellowship with the saints. You're not going to get this on your own. Now, in verse 20, we see that God is going to keep him from too much of a good thing. He says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Now, understand that God is speaking in anthropomorphic terms. That's a big word, Elizabeth. In other words, he's looking at God and, and he's talking to him as if he were a human being, but he's not. God is, is, is spirit. So unless he wants to take on the form of a human being, 
you're not going to see a face or hands or ears or eyes or nose or toenails, okay? Those things are not really part of his physical makeup. However, God, I lost my place. His being, his entire essence of who he is, is more than we can handle. So he lets us see him in his backside. Now, uh, come on, Dennis. Father Ambrose, he said, Who shall see my face and live? Scripture said, and rightly so, for our eyes cannot bear the sun's rays, and whoever turns too long in its direction is generally blinded, so they say. Now, if one creature cannot look upon another creature without loss and harm to himself, how can he see the dazzling face of his eternal creator covered with the clothing that is his body? In other words, remember, if his holiness were to unleash itself, it would have consumed the entire nation of Israel. Indeed, if he lets his holiness go, we're all going to be consumed. Okay? There is a day when he will take his hand off of this earth and off of these people and off of this time. And literally all hell will break loose like you've never seen before. However, in verse 21, God provides space. The Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. Who is our rock? That's right. He says, here's a place by me. I'm going to put you in this cleft of this rock. And you're going to see my back, but not my face. Now, as much of his presence is going to pass by Moses, and Moses is going to see as much of God's glory as he can possibly handle. But notice that this has to be an engineered thing. He has to stand in a specific place and in a specific way. And he says, here is the place, the rock. Stand on the rock. Now, it probably didn't surprise Moses that he's putting himself there for his own protection. But he needs to listen and he needs to follow directions. He needs to be where he can see God's glory pass by. If you're not at the place where God tells you to be, you're not going to see his glory been talking to you for the past few weeks about repentance about seeking after holiness about casting away the idols in our lives and I'm not going to spend the time here to go through all of that again I'm just saying if you haven't done it then even right now the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that I know that as sure as I'm standing here and he's not hammering you he is trying to woo you <laughs> you like that He's trying to draw you with his compassion and his grace to repentance so that you can know the fullness of his glory. In terms of obedience in your life, if you want to experience him in a greater way, start with simple obedience. In verse 22, he says, So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock 
and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. If he didn't put his hand over Moses, what would happen to Moses? He'd be fried. You've heard that term, right? You lie, you fry. Moses would be fried. God's glory was not going to remain in front of Moses either, like a model posing for a photographer. It's going to go passing him by. And then it says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock and cover you with my hand. Remember, there's only so much of the glory that you can handle, only so much you can absorb. And Moses could not experience anything of the glory of God unless he was protected by the hand of God. So with us. Do you see the spiritual analogy here? It is so rich and clear. Standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and his finished work. Right? Nail-pierced hands. Wounded side. Remember we used to sing that too? This is, this is love. He sacrifices for us, and then he covers us before the majestic presence of God so that we're not wiped out by any experience with him. Oh, gosh, I wish, I pray that God is just speaking to your heart and, and hope you, you saw like the first time. I'm getting it. It's an epiphany. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. You need the grace of God for you to be able to live eternally. If you're living for this life and this life only, it's like a kindergartner who just wants to stay in kindergarten and never grow on to the rest of his schooling. There is so much more. And kindergarten was just preparation for what? First grade, which was preparation for? And on and on it goes. How many of you thought that when you hit sixth grade that you were smarter than your first grade teacher? right there's so much more Jesus said that what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul blessed are those who get rich in the world to come doesn't mean you can't pursue great things you should pursue great things but you should do it for the glory of God whatever you do in everything you do do for the glory of God. We are protected by the hand of God, the Son, and sheltered in the cleft of the rock. Do you guys remember that song by Augustus Toplady? What a name. <clears throat> Augustus Toplady. I think if my parents had named me Augustus, I would have hit my face. <laughs> I'm sorry, Augustus. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look for thee for grace. Foul I the fountain fly. To the fountain fly wash me, Savior, or I die. It was this passage of scripture that inspired that hymn. All right, let's get to this. Verse 23, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Again, anthropomorphic doesn't mean he necessarily has a back, 
the word actually is a rare word in the Hebrew, and it means behind something, like a comet's tail. You see a comet's tail behind the comet. That's as much as he could handle, okay? All right, let's give a couple reflections. And Natalie, and why don't you come on up and let's get ready, all right? Elders, come on up, and let's all stand. And let's get the lights, please. First thing I would say to you is that you need to rid yourself of your spiritual cruise control mentality. Whatever you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I hope you're seeking his help. I hope you're praying that everything you do, the work of your hands is blessed. But you need more than that, guys. You need more than that. And I remind you that you are a son and that you are a daughter of the king who needs to continuously connect with God on a deeper, deeper level. Higher up, further in. We need to rid ourselves of that spiritual cruise control mentality plateauing out, settling for mediocrity. Instead, go for the glory. And I'm talking about God's glory. Go before him on your knees and plead to him and ask him, show me your glory. And that's my second point. You need to keep a growing desire for more of God. How much can you bear of his glory? Well, let me ask you, aren't you tempted to test the limit? My dad was a risk taker. He flew helicopters and he wanted to do an inverted loop. If you know anything about aviation and a helicopter, you don't do that. Okay, that means you're gonna go plummeting to the ground, but he thought he could do it. Praise God, he never tried, but we always thought he was going to. He was a risk taker. Are you a risk taker? Are you ready to ask for more? God rewards the seeking heart. What does he say? If you will seek me with all your heart, you will find me. When's the last time you got down on your knees and you said, more of you, God, more of you. What I really want is more of you. The presence of God needs to be manifested in our lives. Amen? Amen. And it needs to be manifested in our church. It needs to be manifested in our ministries. Without the outpouring of God's spirit and the manifestation of his presence, everything we do is a work of the flesh, not of the spirit. And what good is it? Like the song used to say, war, what's it good for? Right? Absolutely nothing. We need a fresh outpouring of God's spirit and a manifestation of his presence right here, right now. Father, I come before you in the name of your son. And I ask that you would outpour your spirit in the manifestation of your goodness towards us. In the realization of your compassion and your grace. You're not giving to us what we actually deserve but are pouring out upon us the blessings of your protection, of your provision, of your guidance. We want more of you. 
we ask you for more of you. We ask you, as Moses did, show us your glory. Not necessarily in some bizarre supernatural manifestation, but simply within within the rooms of our heart, Lord. Within the changing of our character and our nature. And the changing of our priorities and our desires. May we indeed seek after Jesus Christ and fall in love with him and watch him do a work in us that we could say it's a God thing. It is such a God thing. Thank you, Father. If you're here this morning and you do not understand a lot of what I was talking about, but it sounds like it's something you really want in on, then I would tell you that you need to repent of living life on your own terms and come to the realization that there is a lover of your soul who would ask you to repent, meaning change your mind so that he can change your heart and then your behavior can fall in line. But not only fall in line, but you can find the glory and the compassion and the grace that he offers. You will never be the same. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to invite you and everyone else who has a need this morning to come forward and have the elders pray over you, to perhaps anoint you with oil. As Natalie leads us in a worship song. If you feel like you need to leave for whatever reason, you are welcome to go. Just please do so quietly. So, Father, we pray these things in the precious, most powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.